are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I'm okay with that. I like it. Let's celebrate. Preparing to preach today, I thought about uh, a little girl who was watching over her father's shoulder on Saturday night before Easter Sunday morning as he was preparing his sermon, and she says, Daddy... Does God tell you everything that you should say when you preach? And he thought this could be a really powerful teaching moment. And so he, he kind of turns around and he faces his little girl and he says, Well, actually, honey, he does tell me everything to say when I preach. And she looked back at his paper and she said, Then why did you scratch some of it out? <laughs> I promise I won't scratch anything out today, okay? Do you have any idea how many people you've shared a home with over your lifetime? How many people you've actually lived with? So for me, I lived with my parents and my siblings growing up. And then when I went away to college, I lived with roommates. And then when Annette and I got married, um, she became my favorite roommate. And then we had Brittany and Morgan. And for years, the four of us shared a home together. And then about 10 years ago... They were both gone, and it was just Annette and me again. So how many people have you shared a home with, lived with? Do you ever wonder what it would be like if you could live with God? It's not as odd as a question as it may seem in the moment. And obviously I'm not talking about sharing like a a dwelling, you know, a house with God. I'm talking about what if you knew God like you know the people that you lived with over the years? What what if you could feel God's presence like, like you have felt the presence of like a family member who comes and sits down on a sofa next to you? Or, or, or what if you could feel like you had a relationship with God a lot like the relationship that you have with people that you've shared a home with? I wish I could give you a vision for life with God. I've been talking about it for about six weeks, and so let me, let me give it a shot, okay? Let me try. Here we go. In 1980, Dan Rather was the CBS evening news anchor. Every night he read the news to us. And in 1980, he landed an interview with Mother Teresa. It was a big deal because only a few months earlier, in 1979, she had received the Nobel Peace Prize. She did not give many interviews, and so the world kind of wanted to hear what she had to say. And so he says to her during the interview, Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, I usually don't say anything when I pray to God, I just listen. And so I thought he had a pretty good response. He said, okay, then when you pray, what does God say to you? And if you remember her smile, she kind of smiled at Dan Rather and said, usually he doesn't say anything, he just listens. (laughs) And at that point, Dan Rather was stumped. He was baffled. He didn't really have a response. And so she rescued him by adding... And if you can't understand what I just told you, then I don't think there's any way that I can explain it to you. 
I think she was trying to say to Dan, rather, this relationship that I have with God is so close and so intimate, it's hard to understand and maybe even more difficult to try to describe. Because God is always with me, Dan, rather. (laughs) And sometimes words aren't even necessary. And I'm always aware of God's presence. And if you ask me who I'm closer to than anyone else, I would have to say I'm closer to God than anyone in this world. You see, Jesus showed us a whole new way of relating to God. It's, it's almost like He lived on two levels. And so in, in one sense, he, he engaged in everyday life. He He got out of bed in the morning. I assume he washed his face. He ate breakfast. He engaged in conversations with people. He he lived everyday life. But on another level, he was always aware of God's presence. He was always in communion with God. So what if I told you, and I believe this, what if I told you that we can experience life with God just like Jesus experienced life with God. In fact, what if I told you that this has been God's intention from the day that He created man? That, that we could experience life with God just, just like Jesus experienced life with God. In fact, what if I told you that the, that the gospel isn't as much about getting you to heaven as it is about getting you to God? I'm going to say it again. What, what if I told you that the gospel isn't as much about getting you to heaven as it is about getting you to God? Because that is heaven. Some of you would say, well, it's a subtle difference. And others would say, no. As my mama would say, it makes all the difference in the world. So let me, let me share the word of God with you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have your Bibles with you. Paul is working with the believers at Corinth because there is some kind of thinking that's going on or some kind of struggle, maybe even some kind of teaching that is trying to deny, trying to deny rather, the, the resurrection of the physical body. And so his argument is, well, do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Of course you do. And so when you get to verses 3 and 4, he basically presents the gospel. And here's what he says. Uh, what I received, I passed on to you. As a first importance. <laughs> I love his language. There is nothing that is more important that I could say to you right now. That's what he's saying. I mean, I can't think of anything that matters more than what I'm about to say. Okay, Paul, say it. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Just let me, let me think with you for a minute here. He is saying, if, if I'm going to say something to you, the most important thing that I can say to you is that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel, right? When he gets to the end of the chapter in verse 54, he kind of sums it up, and he says, because of the resurrection, because Christ was raised on the third day, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So He's saying, you and I, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the victory even over death. My wife Annette and I were at an event not long ago, and we heard two men speak. One came up on the platform in an electric mobilized chair that he gets around in and his other friends stood beside him. They're both 42 years old. Their names are Justin and Patrick. They met when they were young boys and they've been lifelong friends. They grew up together. They went through school together. They went through college together. They both met wonderful young women. They both got married. They both had kids. And they remained the best of friends. When Justin was in his uh, teenage years, he began to notice when playing soccer in high school that his right foot just wasn't working quite right. He, he just felt like he didn't have the control over his right foot that he should have. He didn't know what was wrong, but something was not, not right. And so they go to a doctor, and they go to other doctors, and they go to more doctors, and they go to more doctors. And as they continued to go try to find out what was going on, it seemed like it was moving up his leg. And finally, he was struggling with the use of his entire leg. He just didn't have the control that he needed over his leg. What he was finally diagnosed with was a muscular disease, not the same as, but like, ALS. And as he moves into his 20s, he realizes that he's losing the ability to control his left foot and then his left leg. And so it's a cane, and then it's braces, and then it's crutches, and then it's a manual wheelchair. But at 32, he said, I noticed a weakness in my right arm. And shoulder. And within months, he said, I had no use of my upper body either. He said, I'm told that my life will be cut short. That I will die relatively young because of this disease. His friend Patrick began to talk about how difficult it was to watch his friend suffer through this illness. And lose his ability to walk and then his ability to use his upper body. Because they had remained the best of friends. And so they tell the story about how Patrick had driven with his family all day one day across country because they were living now in different states. And they had driven to Justin's house because they were going to spend spring break with the families all together the full week. And so he said, as soon as I get in the door, Justin says to me, um, I just watched this really cool documentary um, I want you to watch it with me. And so he says, okay. I recorded it. All right, play it. It's Rick Steves Europe. And it's a documentary on the Camino de Santiago. So if you're not aware of the Camino de Santiago, in English it is translated the way of St. James. It is a trail across northern Spain. It starts right across the border in France. 
It's 500 miles long. It's not a road. You can't drive. You hike. It's a pilgrimage. In fact, for many, it's a spiritual pilgrimage. The tradition holds that in the cathedral in the northwestern part of Spain are buried the remains of James, the brother of Jesus. And so 200,000 people a year walk that 500-mile journey across northern Spain to the cathedral that is now the shrine of St. James. And so after the documentary goes off, Justin, sitting in his chair, looks up at Patrick and says, you want to do it? And he says, I'll never forget it. My friend Patrick looked at me with a big smile and said, I'll push you. And both of them said we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And so we began to prepare. And so we had this chair made. And I brought a picture so you could kind of see what it's like. Justin says, I kind of refer to it as a, as a baby jogger on steroids, you know. So with Justin and the chair, in the chair, it weighs 250 pounds. He's going to push it 500 miles. And so you can imagine how arduous. The next picture kind of gives you an idea of what it would be like to push this chair this many miles. They said, you know, we're not geography buffs, and so we didn't really do all of our homework. And we didn't realize that if you start in, you know, across the border in, in France, that that, that means that, that you would have to cross the Pyrenees mountain range. We should have thought about that. And so a friend said, you know, I can give you a week. What week do you want me to come and travel with you? And they said, the first week, help us get over the Pyrenees. And so this is their friend, and he's helping get over the Pyrenees on the first week of their journey. And then it was them and then other pilgrims along the way. This picture shows you how that times the slope was so steep that other pilgrims, many would have to join in to get Justin up a hill. The last picture I love so much. It's moving to me. It speaks volumes. Probably because I've decided it's my story. When I was 19 years old, I felt like God had been speaking to me, loving me, calling me, wooing me. And on a Sunday night at my home church in Columbia, Kentucky, I walked down the aisle and I found myself kneeling at the altar. And I said to Jesus, I want to live my life with God. I want to know God. I want to feel God's presence. I want a relationship with God. But I knew I couldn't get there on my own. And it wasn't these exact words, but it was the same conversation. I said, Jesus, what do you think? And he said, I'll push you. I can get you there. Let me talk to you about it from a theological perspective, okay? God has always been, right? And so here I am, 
I'm 19 years old, but something separates me from God. And what separates me from God is my sin. See, I want to know God. I want to feel God's presence. I want a relationship with God. I want to know that things are right with God, but something separates me. There's a barrier between me and God, and it's my own sin. And I can't do anything about my sin problem. I don't have that kind of power. And so God comes to me through Jesus, His Son. And He goes to a cross and He takes upon Himself my sin. And He removes the barrier that separates me from God. And now I can experience life with God. I'm just giving you the Scripture right back to you that I read a moment ago. It says, Jesus died for our sins so we could experience life with God. Until you begin to understand God's desire to have a relationship with you, you will never understand the purpose of the cross. Until you begin to understand how deeply God desires to have a relationship with you, the cross will never make sense. The cross will only have meaning when you come to understand God's deep desire to know you and to have a relationship with you. So I ask for a little bit of help today, okay? Not long ago, my friend Dr. Keith Newman showed me an illustration and I said, I'm going to borrow it. He said, okay. And so... What they're going to do is stretch a tape measure across the platform. And the tape measure, I'm going to ask them to stop at 79 feet, okay? So if every foot of the tape measure represents a year, every foot of the tape measure represents a year, why do you think I'm asking them to stop at 79 feet? Here's why. Because the average lifespan of a person living in the United States of America is 79 years. Women typically, on an average, live about two years longer, and men, on an average, typically live two years less, okay? So, uh, states, the average lifespan varies also. Oklahoma is kind of one of the lower averages, all right? Hawaii is one of the higher. If, if you move to Hawaii, you can live about five more years. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they eat a lot of fish and we eat a lot of country fried steak with white gravy. <laughs> Last night I saw Kent and Mary Daughtery who just moved back from Hawaii. And I said, why did you move back? You could have lived five more years. He said, if you live in Hawaii, you can't afford to live those extra five years. <laughs> so I want you to do with your life what I'm doing with mine, okay? So I'm just going to look at the tape and I'm going to pick out a few years here and share them with you. Okay, when I was 19, right here is 19, okay? So when I was 19, this right here is, is when I went down to the altar that night in my home church. And I said, Jesus, I want a relationship with God. Okay, significant year in my life, all right? I, I had lived this many years. I was sorting through all of that. And, and this was when I made a firm decision responding to God's grace. Okay, right here. And then right here, here's, here's a few years later. Uh, at 24, at 24, this is a significant year in, in my life. It was at this year that I made Annette Stone the happiest woman on the face of the earth. Yeah. Right, baby? 
Almost 35 years of total bliss I've given this gal. <laughs> Two years later, I was 26, Brittany was born, our oldest daughter. And then five years later, at 31, Morgan was born. That's when we moved to Tennessee to pastor a church. All the way 10 years later, okay, when I was 40, that's when we moved to Ohio. And 10 years after that, when I was 50, that would be right here. That is when I moved to the great state of Oklahoma, folks. Oh, my goodness. I get up every morning and say, God, why in the world would you be so good to me to let me live in Oklahoma? I love it here. I love it. Just love it. And two years later, when I was 52, Sadie Kay was born, my granddaughter. Yeah, that was a big day. When I was 55, my father passed away. Significant year of my life. And now I am 60 years old. And you are saying, hush your mouth. There is no way. <laughs> no, I am. I'm 60 years old. I'm not making it up. I am. Look at how much of my life I've lived. And if I live an average lifespan, look how much I have left. Have I thoroughly depressed anyone in the room? <laughs> you may say, Rick, what's, what's the future look like? What, what does the rest of it look like? I don't know. I can't predict the future. But if it looks like Anything like that part of it, I've got a feeling there's going to be some, some reasons to celebrate and there's going to be some heartaches. Don't you think? Because that's life. And although I don't know what the future holds, there's one thing that I do know. Because Christ died for my sins, I am going to be with God. And He is going to be with me. For the rest of the journey, we're going to be together. And as long as he's with me, I'm going to be okay. But at some point, I'm going to die. I don't know if I'm going to be really average and die at 79. Or if I'm going to die before then. Or if I'm going to live way past the take. I don't know. But because of the resurrection, I know that when I die, I'm going to be with him. And He is going to be with me. And I'm going to be okay. Did you know that I'm going to lay my head on my pillow tonight? And here are going to be the thoughts that I have. If I wake up in the morning, it's okay. But if I don't wake up in the morning, it's okay. <laughs> because I'm going to spend the day tomorrow with Him anyway. And it really doesn't matter whether it's here or there. And my family will be okay because they'll join me before long anyway. You understand that the point of the resurrection is that death has been defeated. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. And whoever believes in me, even though he dies, will live. So what I'm trying to say to you is simply this, that life with God made possible by Jesus' death and resurrection, it just never ends. So I've tried to be really simple and really straightforward with you. Here's what I've tried to say. You and I can have life with God now because Jesus died for us. And because of the resurrection, that life will never end. 
So let me go back to Justin and Patrick, okay? When Justin talked about the journey, he said, I, I found myself many times thinking to myself, this is so humbling. Because I could do nothing for myself. Every meal that I ate, Patrick had to feed me. Every drink that I swallowed, he had to hold the cup. Every bath he had to give me. And every morning he had to dress me. He said it was terribly humbling. And, and I think all of us think, wow. What? You think about all that Patrick did for Justin. And how grateful he was and how humbled he was. And again, I think it's my story. When I think about what Jesus has done for me, I can't imagine someone giving their life for me. Can you somehow grasp the truth that Jesus gave His life for you? And so how do you respond to that? All that he's done. I, I, I think there's some of you who would say, Rick, I feel like I need to say thanks. <laughs> I need to give God thanks and I need to give him praise. And in a moment, we're going to get to do that together. And there might be somebody else saying, maybe I should put my trust in him. That's called faith. Maybe I should do what you did when you were 19. Maybe I need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I want, I want a relationship with God. I want to know God. I want to sense God's presence. But I can't get myself there. Because my sin separates me from God. And maybe I need to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you think? And maybe I need to hear Jesus say to me, I'll push you. I'll get you there. And so maybe it would be good if we bowed our heads together. Could we do that? And can we take a moment to pray? And so, Father, while many in the room right now are praying prayers of thanksgiving, and while many are celebrating in their hearts and their spirits, and while many are saying, God, I can't believe what all you've done for me, and I just want to give you thanks, and I just want to give you praise, I believe there are others who maybe are praying right now in this moment. And it's okay if you want to use my words to say, Jesus, I want to know God. I want to sense His presence. Jesus, I want a relationship with God. And I confess to you in this moment my sin.
And I want you to remove that which separates me from Him. And I accept the forgiveness that you offer me. And I want to live life with God. For the rest of the years I have on this earth and in the world to come. Father, thank you for hearing us all pray today. And thank you for answering our prayers. And hear our hearts in these next moments. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.